Hello, you wonderful people. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up to our Patreon account. The link will be in the description of this podcast, but you can also go to patreon.com forward slash Pod. For as little as four euros a month, you can help us out and become part of our little community. You'll get early access to all of the pods and you'll also get a monthly newsletter from myself and Jim. So basically two monthly newsletters where we'll talk about stuff that's going on in our own personal lives and what we've been thinking about slash inspired about. We also are asking you guys to get involved with the podcast so you can send in questions for our upcoming guests or you can suggest to us people or topics you would like us to interview and explore further. Um, We love you. We hope that you love us and hopefully just by giving us as little as four euros a month, that's basically, it's not even a pint in London that you can help us become an even better podcast. Thank you all. Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest um, was really inspirational for me uh, and really helpful. Some of the tips and tricks and, and the rationale that um, Robbie gave behind his binge eating has really helped me in my own um, eating habits. And, and, and since we've had this conversation, I've actually found my behaviours have improved around food. Um, so I hope that anyone who's listened to this who maybe suffers with binge eating or maybe has an unhealthy relationship with their food can draw some inspiration from Robbie. I think you, I think it's almost impossible not to, to be honest. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did. It really has been uh, transformational for me. So without further ado, here is Robbie Tompkins. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are chatting with Robbie. Robbie, what's the crack? How are you keeping? I'm very good, guys. It's very good to see you. I'm from Swansea originally, so I know the phrase, what's the crack? <laughs> Did they say in Swansea? <laughs> my mates in Cork. Yeah, because uh, we got the Swansea Cork Ferry, haven't we? I don't know if it's still running. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so we've got, we've got that ferry runs between Swansea and Cork. So yeah, there's an affinity okay. there. The <laughs> Fantastic. I didn't know that at all. <laughs> That's good to know. Um, yeah, also, yeah. thank you for not laughing at my red face today. We've had like the most beautiful day in Ireland. So I appreciate you taking me with some sincere. I mean, as you can see with my uh, Mediterranean skin, <laughs> Jim, I am also part of, uh, yeah, so I'm here for okay, it. Don't beautiful. Worry. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, before we get into the main chunk of what we'd like to talk about today, do you mind giving the listeners a bit of an idea of, of you know, your background and... So a background in terms of what we're going to talk about or just... Yeah, yeah, whatever you feel like is important for someone to know if they're learning a bit about you, you know, where, or whether, where you're from, what you do now, like what, what was the struggle? Yeah, yeah okay, cool. Yeah, so um, yeah, my name's Robbie, uh, originally from Swansea. I've got a checkered... Uh, my parents immigrated to South Africa when I was six months old, so I grew up in Botswana. Um, which I'll touch on a little bit. It's, it's probably, uh, there's a little, there's lots of memories from my early childhood, which we'll probably talk about. Um, and then move back to the UK with a thick South African accent and all of this will tie into what, what we're going to talk about. So it was quite different when I moved, you know, I went to a school in Swansea where everyone was white and Welsh and lived 20 minutes from where you lived. And I arrive with this thick South African accent, um, but claiming to be Welsh. And I uh, didn't fit in with the kids and stuff. But anyway, um, I've got loads of different jobs and I'll touch on that bit in a bit 
did loads of different careers. I've chopped and changed careers over the years. And I'm currently, uh, I'm 42. Uh, I just got married in March to my husband, Joel. Uh, Congratulations. Happiest day of my life. And um, currently I work as a nail artist. Um, I'm signed with a big agency in London. Um, and I work a lot with sort of TV and film and magazine shoots. I've just been doing a shoot today, which was brilliant. Um, and I'm on the podcast to talk to you guys because a mutual friend asked me if I would have a chat with you guys about uh, eating disorders, to put it to put it bluntly, um, and and my journey with that. Uh, not only just as a person, I know we're in, you know, I'm mindful of the fluidity of gender at the moment, or not at the moment, but just the changing perceptions of, of gender. You know, I don't want to say I'm, I'm here as a man with an eating disorder to fly the flag for for guys everywhere, but um, it's definitely a factor uh, for me that's affected um, my eating, being a man. Um, and it's to share sort of my experience, chef and hope with, with you guys and to sort of see what questions you've got. And, um, and to just have an open, frank, honest conversation around, yeah, what it, what it's like uh, having an eating disorder as a man, but also just having it anyway. Um, and the little nuances that run through it all, that sort of stuff. Hopefully it will help somebody, I think, because I'm, I'm, I've been in recovery now for sort of eight years and I'm not, I've passed the shame of it all and I'm now into the acceptance and, uh, yeah, and I'm wearing it like a really beautiful, comfortable jacket, whereas before mm. it was like a straight jacket. Now it's like a jacket that I put on that makes me feel good and I'm happy to show it off and talk about it with, with anybody that might find it useful. Um, I love that word, useful. Yeah, oh, that's great yeah. to hear. I mean, it's a great starting place. I guess the, the first question is, when did you yourself recognize um, that you may have a dece- an eating disorder? When did it like, when did you think like, hey, what I'm doing isn't, my relationship with food isn't quote unquote normal. There might be yeah. a problem here. What was, what, what, what did that look like for you? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll give you some tiny little snippets because, you know, uh-huh. where, where we haven't got hours and hours. So yeah, the little memories when you ask that question, like really jumped to mind is my mum, you know, my mum struggled with her weight. Um, and when we lived in Africa, my mum would uh, have diet foods shipped over that cost a fortune. Um, Shall I mention a brand of a particular food? I don't know. Uh, so yeah, Rivita was having a moment, right? <laughs> okay. Rivita cracker breads, which my mum used to pay to have shipped over because it was a big thing in the sort of early 80s, you know, it was a diet food. And I just remember being sort of, I must be four or five, and they were in this particular cupboard. And I, it was weird, this compulsion to like, that's not for me and it's a food stuff, therefore I want it. I want it. It's curious. I'm, I'm intrigued by it, um, which, you know, could be a normal behavior for kids, but there was something quite burning around it and basically got them at half of them and then gave half of them away to somebody out of our back garden. And I remember my mum being furious about it. Like it really etched into my mind, you know, like I'd, I'd eaten all of these, this expensive diet thing. Um, so then, you know, I'm always bullied again when we lived abroad. I was always in a bather and I have early, early memories of being bullied for being fat. And the terrible thing is that I carry that and it's, I've got a real, a really bad body dysmorphic condition where I am convinced I'm huge when I'm tiny. Um, I will find, you know, I'll grab a little bit of skin like this on my arm and go, ha you know, so 
I've got a very warped sense of what I look like, um, which is not true because years and years and years later, um, my whole life convinced I was this really, really chubby kid. My mum pulls out all the photos from when I was a kid and it was really small. And I've got a picture of me in a bather when I'm four or five with this bright blonde hair in Africa. And, um, and what I believe I looked like did not match with the photograph I was looking at. So from this early age, um, whether I was, you know, I always believe for me, uh, you know, I'm an addict, that it was always there. I don't believe that I inherited it. It wasn't, it wasn't born into me. It was, sorry, it wasn't born into me or there wasn't a specific tragic circumstance or a moment in my, in my life that triggered it. It just was. What happened was when the symptoms came along, I was this sensitive little kid and some kid would go, oi fatty, I'd burst into tears. And of course kids love that, you know? So I was just this little easy target. And um, and then fast forward a couple of years in university, my mum would always uh, bless her with the best intentions, would go to a cheap supermarket chain of German origin and, uh, <laughs> and bing me. I, I lived in halls of residence and um, literally 10 minutes from where my parents lived, I went to Swansea Uni. And uh, she would bring me these big bags of really cheap food, you know, sausage rolls, pork pies, you know, really comforting stuff. And I lived in a big long hall with a load of other, I was a student nurse, believe it or not, with all these other nurses. And we all had a little fridge in our bedroom. And I was always, you know, amused. I thought it was funny that on I'd get my package on a Sunday and on a Monday night, all the fresh stuff was left, you know, apples, one bag of apples and some lettuce. Everything else had gone. And, and I'd go to my mates and they say, do you want this? Do you want to eat some of this? And I'd be like, oh my God, how have you still got food left? I, I was confused. I didn't, um, and then, Meeting my husband, the sort of catalyst of me getting, you know, really addressing my eating disorder. I mean, this is really bite-sized form, you know, there's a lot of stuff in between. Um, I've really abused the gym. I did steroids in my twenties. I've yo-yoed and put on sort of seven stone, seven, eight stones. My kind of put it on, then lose it all, then put it on, then lose it all in two to three year cycles. Didn't think anything was wrong with that because for me, it was just in the media, you know, like when you get big, go on a diet, go to the gym, train. I just took hold of that and went to the absolute extreme with it. Um, and now I met my husband 12 years ago <clears throat> and he's a chef, <laughs> the irony, um, and isn't practicing a chef now, works in a restaurant, but the first couple of years, you know, we were together, my, you know, I was drinking loads, taking loads of recreational drugs every weekend, but there was, uh, I remember a pivotal time as well. I was cabin crew. This is another little moment where one time um, in between flights, I had so much food that I was in so much pain. I was living in Brixton in a big shared house at the time. I had, the volume was so massive, it terrified me. And I thought, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I made myself sick once. And it took one time and my brain went, there's the answer. And I was throwing up for years and years and years since I was like 23, 24 was the first time. Not because I thought oh, I'm going to get thin if I make myself sick. It was just the pain was so much. And it was like sitting here and I thought I'm going like, to explode my stomach. I was terrified. And I thought, right, just get it out. And literally the next day, crossed my mind, hmm, I could probably do that again. Next day, I could do that again. Then I discovered when I was flying, because I was cabin crew, at altitude, it's really easy to make yourself sick. I was landed. So I was just doing it on every flight. I was eating all the cabin crew food, going to the toilet mid-service. I'd be serving someone tea or coffee. I'd say, I'd just be back in a second, go to the loo, throw up, 
go back and start serving people tea and coffee again. Um, it sounds insane now, right? But at the time, I honestly didn't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I didn't believe everybody did it. But I certainly didn't think this is terrible. Like you need to sort your life out. This is a real problem. It was just a functional thing. Like this is what needs to happen for me to feel safe and okay in the world. Get rid of the food. Never doing that again. It was painful. I burst some blood vessels in my eye and people are asking, what's wrong with your eye, Robbie? And, uh, and I go, that's it. We're done. And an hour later, this insidious thought comes of, I'll probably do it again now in a couple of hours. You know, it was, whether it be, um, you know, one, one piece of chocolate or a bucket of chicken, you know, it, it, either one could trigger me. It didn't really matter. My brain would, would, would sort of say, that's bad. Therefore, this is what you need to do to sort it out. Sorry, I digressed there a little. And then, um, yeah, so I was with my husband and I was doing this, making myself sick and buying loads of cheap food and I'd little things, behaviors, you know, I'd finished my PR job. I worked in PR again, I've done loads of different jobs and I'll, I'll, I'll cover that in a second, like massive career changes every sort of five years. Um, and people would say to me, leaving work, oh, we're on the same bus. Should we grab the bus together? And I say, I'm really sorry. I can't, I've got some bits and bobs to do because one, I was planning to binge on the bus and I didn't want to sit with them obviously, cause I can't binge with someone. So I'd make up something and then I'd go and buy loads of food from a cheap shop, sit at the back of the bus cause everyone's facing forward and just sit binging with the plan that when I got home, I could just get rid of it. Um, and then sometimes I get home and my husband would finish work early and I'd be furious because I couldn't do it. Um, and this, this continued happening with him and it, it eventually was starting to break my heart a little bit because I was being so dishonest and, and I do all of this horrible behavior and then he'd come home and make this beautiful dinner and I'd have to sit there forcing this dinner down after my stomach was in cramps and I was all teary in my eyes because I had cleaned up all the, all the bathroom. I had to change my t-shirt because I got sick down me. And, um, and that's the, that's, that's where it ended up was this like little dirty, I'm sorry to swear, this dirty little secret that, um, I couldn't, the longer we were together, I couldn't keep it from him. So I one day just said, oh, look, it's not a problem, but I occasionally make myself sick when I eat too much. Uh, and I've been blessed with him because he kind of went, hmm, all right. He wasn't like, oh, disgusting or there's something wrong with you. He was like, oh, okay. Uh maybe go and see a doctor about it. And I was like, okay, fine. Yeah, I'll do it. You know, but it's, it's not really an issue. And it took me a couple of weeks to go and see my GP because I was a lot bigger than I am now. And the shame I carried from thinking you can't be a fat bulimic. It's not possible. So I can't really be bulimic, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm really big and also men don't have it. So they're going to laugh at me in the, in the GPs. They're going to laugh me at the surgery, but I plucked up the courage to go. And I was blessed again with this beautiful GP. This lady really took me seriously. She referred me to an eating disorders unit in a hospital. Um, and from that I found, um, other means where I really addressed the problem. But in that eating disorders hospital, I was diagnosed with a compulsive eating disorder, which I didn't really think was a thing, but it's an actual disorder and also bulimia. Um, which in a way, when I was told, I was like, it was, it was horrifying, but quite a relief because I was like, okay, it's an actual name for something that I'm doing that makes me feel so rotten, but I can't stop doing it. Um, it's a thing, you know, and I was going to this, this eating disorders unit and there were like anorexic girls next to me who were like four stone in the waiting room. And I felt such a fraud, like so much shame around going and sitting there, didn't deserve the treatment, didn't deserve to be helped when there's people dying like this, but, um, it's been, it's been a, a long sort of journey with it. 
Um, but all the way along the way, my husband, that GP, when I started reaching out for help, I discovered there's so much help out there. And actually now, you know, I haven't been sick in seven years. Uh, I've eaten three meals a day for seven years, bar the order once or twice when life gets in the way. And, and that's cool. And, and I used to like eat all day or rigidly keto diet, you name it, Atkins, pyramid training diets, whacking steroids in my ass, trying to control my macronutrients and micro and I could tell you the calories in a red apple compared to a green apple it was insane and now mm. you know I haven't weighed myself in seven years I don't know what I weigh and I would weigh myself in the morning go for a go for a number two weigh myself again just to see how much that would have weighed drink a pint of water weigh and see what the weight of the water is it, and then if the scale was the wrong number my whole day was ruined it would be like what's the point of getting that to work I've put a pound on or, or yeah. and I go to work and people say, can you do this? And I'm like, nah, nah, because I'm, I'm a pandemia, like I may as well just die. You know, without something dramatic, it, it got like that, especially with that number on the scales. That was, that was horrible. So yeah, that's, that's where I am today. <laughs> Maybe so one of the most complete answers I think we've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> I think we might just, yeah, just end it here. That's it. All done. Thank you, Robbie. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I mean, I, I take it back. I want to take it off because you've given us a lot of information there. I think maybe try and we can try and go through it somewhat chronologically. So, <clears throat> so I, I've got a couple of questions regarding the binge eating. Yeah. Um, I, I sympathise with eating way too much and then like feeling like like you said you're getting the cramps and and feeling awful. Uh, from I've never I never then try to remedy it. Um, with, with forcing myself to be sick, but a tiny bit of background from, from my side, some of our listeners might know, but so I'm, I'm half Italian. And so obviously food in Italy is just a massive uh-huh. part of the culture. <laughs> and, yeah. and also it's just like, it's a way in Italy. It's just how we show like each other. We love each other. It's like, our oh, cook for you. It's like our most endearing quality. And so, and in Italy, it's like the typical it's a stereotype, but it's, well, at least in my case, it was true. Is that like, you know, you're eating, you turn your head and then bosh, it's another, like the, your plate's full again, it's as if you haven't touched it, which mm-hmm. you don't complain about because the food is beautiful and it's lovely and it's all homemade and all the rest of it. But also, I then had like a, an old-fashioned dad and you know who lived through poverty when he was younger and stuff like this, and he's travelled a lot through throughout the world and he's seen real poverty, and so he would never not let me finish a meal. Like mm-hmm. that was not you finish what is on your plate. And so for me, I've kind of picked up things where. I'm quite, oh, I like to think of myself as quite a good cook. So that kind of doesn't help me because it's like, oh, I can just rustle something up and it's normally pretty, well, at least I think it's quite delicious. Problem is I've really got problems with quantity control. So mm-hmm. I can't like just cook 200 grams of pasta. The mm-hmm. box is me 500 too. grams. <laughs> so I'll empty the box. And then in my head, I'm like, okay, yeah, but it makes sense because you're making the sauce for it. So whatever. But then you can portion it out. Like, but that doesn't happen because then I'll mm-hmm. eat it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, well, like I've, I've made myself a 250 gram bowl, which is way too much anyway, because in Italy, you'd make yourself at most 125 gram bowl for a growing boy, as my aunties would say. Mm-hmm. So I'm already doubling that. But then I'm like, well, there's only 250 left. I might as well just finish it. And then what mm-hmm. I'll do is, because I've eaten 500 grams, I won't have dinner. And in my mind, and I know this is wrong, but still there is a part of me that still thinks I'm kind of right, even though I know that I'm wrong. But it's like the calories are going in anyway. So it doesn't matter if I eat them like all today or like if I have a cheesecake, I'll eat, I'll smash it today. Cause mm. if it's let's say 4,000 calories, 
and I portion it out over seven days. It's still 4,000 calories that are going into my body. So what difference does it make if I portion it out or if I smash it all on a Monday? It's still, at the end of the day, the calorie count is still the same, right? Which I know mm. is ridiculous, but that my brain <laughs> still has those like internal... No, it's not ridiculous, but I love because I, I relate so much. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's a hard one because it's like, I know... What I find really hard about the binge eating is, it's like, I'm doing it to myself. So I am literally, whether whether I'm ordering a, a, a takeaway or I'm, I'm, I'm making the food myself, I am the one who's chosen that quantity for a start. I am then the one who puts that quantity on the dish. And I am then the one who then like stuffs it in my mouth, no matter how full I am or I'm not. Like I'm the one who will keep on eating and eating, even though I know that like I'm no longer hungry. I'm still mm -hmm. eating. And then that's where like, it gets to me because it's like, you don't have any self-control. Like there's like three processes in that like kind of process. There's three steps where it's like, you could have first of all, not ordered that much or not cooked that much. You then could have, well now that you've cooked that much, it doesn't mean you have to eat it all there. And then you could also just put like the people who put stuff into Tupperware bowls, blows my mind out of mm -hmm. like, respect. So I don't know how they do it, but it's like, I could have done that. And then at the, so I failed now two steps. And then at the third step, I'm then the one who's also failed because I like smashed it into my face. And I, that, that's where I have like a real problem. And I wonder if like, if it was similar for you, like with the binge eating, where you like, I know I'm going to like be in pain physically. I know this isn't right. Like I know mm. my calorie intake now is fucked for the whole day because I've just mm. smashed everything. But like that sense of like guilt and like, I can't stop myself. Like I'm the one who is putting it into my mouth. Yeah. No, no, I totally relate. Um, and, and I'm exactly the same, like now, um, you know, I, with rice and pasta, unless I'm in a restaurant where I'm always horrified how small the portion is. And then I'm always surprised when I finish it and I'm normally full and satisfied mm. and think, oh, uh, you know, I was terrified when it landed and I thought that's never going to be enough. Um, you know, that is still a fear occasionally that I get. And then I eat it and I am connected to people and, um, you know, and, I, and then I'm surprised, like, oh, and I was past. I'm not starving and dying that I thought I would be. So now, you know, I weigh a quantity of my home pasta rice because for me, it will just never be enough. I've come to accept that my thinking around food, and I'm blessed again. My husband's a normie, right? He can have one line of coke, one drink, one whatever, right? One Maltese or whatever. Not saying he does all those things, but he could have one of anything. Um, so I get to witness and see what a normal inverted commas eater does so he can have uh, and they, they, we've got a cupboard full of it you know and I'm, I'm completely neutral now it's beautiful but there's percy pigs in the fridge you know open with some left in there i don't get it there's half a pack of chocolate choco leaving its chocolates in the cupboard i don't get that um you know these resealable bags i used to take the piss and be like ah what's the point like resealable run trees share bag share uh, mm. and and but you know, with me, it, I was always so full of resolutions, like I'm not doing it again. And, and I'd look, literally, like you said, I'd look at a massive, and I'd do exactly the same, Seb, you know, it would be, well, I may as well cook it all, right? Because then I can portion it and I'll have half tomorrow. And I always did this with huge pizzas, right? Cut it in half. That's half of my, my husband when he gets home from his late shift at midnight, because he'll have something to eat. Sit and eat half, watch TV, within about two minutes, my brain, the insanity is like, tell you what, I'll just nip off like an eighth of it because he doesn't need a half a pizza. I just have a little, an eighth of it. And then it's tricked back, tricked back, tricked back until I finished it all. And then I think, well, I haven't told him, thank God. So he's not expecting it, it's okay. 
and my brain would figure out every single excuse. Um, and I've come to realize, you know, it is just in me and there's no point in beating myself up going, you're useless also, Robbie, you've done it again, da, 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 because it is just in me, it's inbuilt um, that there is an itch that I cannot scratch and I'm convinced that I can scratch it with food and I'll keep going and then it doesn't, and, and, and don't get me wrong, it does work for a tiny bit, otherwise I wouldn't do mm. it. It works for a little bit. I go, Oof, and there's a sense of ease and comfort for a tiny bit. What I found over the years was that window was getting smaller and smaller, and that scared me. You know, before I'd have a binge, a good hour or two, I'm like, oh, there, calm. And then I was binging, and it was like 10 minutes later, like, oh, shit, I'm anxious again. Oh, it's just, I don't know what. I'm gonna have to buy some more food or something. And this window was getting really small, which kind of forced me then into addressing it and, and seeking some help because I just tried everything, everything inside me, all my self-will, willpower, don't do it again. You know, trying to remember how bad it was last time I'm putting into practice this time, buying the Tupperware, not buying the food, buying the food, clearing my cupboards out, buying weighing scales, all of the little things that I watched other people talk about at work. And I'd be like, well, they do it, let's have a go. It never seemed to work. Um, mm. And I think trying to figure out the reason for it, I spent years trying to figure out why I was doing it. And to be fair, I've never really found the answer. It just is for me. And I'll, I'll try and say that all the way through. This is just my experience. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would say to anyone listening, you know, take what you want and leave the rest if, if any of it is useful. Because I think whilst I totally identify with you, Seb, you know, that there might be slip different reasons, there might be different yeah. underlying things, but I think for me, the food is a symptom. There was a lot of stuff going on underneath. Because it wasn't ever yeah. about the food, if that yeah, makes yeah. any sense at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other thing I like, liked so you so you'd like deal deal with like you said, like being bullied or being picked on for being like fat and you had like yeah. this image of yourself as like I've just always been the fat kid. Like, it, it, do you know what I mean? And, and when you were saying that, I was like, oh God, uh, preach it to the choir. Cause like, I, I, so I went to boarding school and like, I, I'm the nickname that, so I actually love boarding school. So it's kind of bad. Cause I'm now going to make out like, I'm going to fit into all the stereotypes of like, oh yeah, here's another horrible boarding school story. But um, apart from this, I love boarding school. But so you obviously living with people, you know, year seven all the way to sixth form. And you, when you join in year seven, it is quite intimidating because like sick formers look like giants, like these 18 yeah. yards, you're like, oh my God. Um, and like, and they were quite brutal. Like it's just kind of the, the way of the world. Like you would, like you just had to get through it. Like they would like physically bully you and stuff. But you were just like, look, this is just how it's gone on for like, it felt like centuries. It's just the way of the world. And mm. if you were unlucky, they would like give you a nickname, whatever. And like my nickname was Pudding. So like you like mm. if you just walk past their room, which you might have to do to go to the toilet, they'd be like eh, pudding like that. And yeah, that. So mine, like... mine was. I don't know how old you guys are, but there was a Saturday night TV show with a character character called Mr. Blobby, which uh -huh. rhymes really well with Robbie. So uh, I was yeah. all the way through comprehensive, and it was on uh, Mr. Terrible. Blobby, the big pink. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you remember Jim? Or yeah, 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 Mr. Blobby. Yeah. Um, it was just a big, it was a guy in a big pink suit and it was this Noel Edmonds show on a Saturday night and mm. he'd run out and like push celebrities over and all of this and he was a big pink kind of with yellow spots yeah. on him. But yeah, I really, it was horrible. I, 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 like my question is like, I wonder, so when, like when, like with me anyway, it's like, so I've been called that from a very young age, from what, 10, 11, whatever. 
always recognized mm. myself as like the fatter one in the classroom or whatever. I was never like huge, but I was always like, oh yeah, I'm definitely chubby. Like there's no getting around that. You, and then you... like now, like I, I do look back on photos, like you were saying, and it's like, I can vividly remember like being able to do the truffle shuffle and shit like that. Yeah. And it's like, so I must've been chubby, but then I look at it and I'm like, like I look at how the, the t-shirt falls on me. And like, there isn't a belly there, but I can like, in my head, it's like, I know for a fact there was one, but mm. obviously the photos tell me something different. But what has happened, I think over the years is I've like internalized that personality. Mm. So like now, like my mates know, like no one bullies me now for being fat or anything, but they're like, oh yeah, Seb can pack it away. Do you know what I mean? And, and I, I almost like have kind of got this weird thing. I'm like, I'm always like proud of it. Like I'm the one, like, you know, you might have the one in the friendship who's like a boozer mm. and he can like down 10 pints, like no man's business. And he can sit there and like, and he's totally fine. Mm. I'm not the one who can like, oh yeah, there is no, like you could order me whatever you want and I will pack it away. Like, and I wonder if that ever happened to you, if you ever kind of felt like you internalized some sort of like personality and then kind of almost acted up to it or, or do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So I, I was always trying to be the funny one to mask, you know, because I was overweight, um, a lot more overweight than I am now. And like I yo-yoed and everything else and would change my clothes every three years. It was, it was expensive and just depressing mm. really. Um, you know, I'd go from like super tight black t-shirts when I was at my best and then literally and, and white and I'd wear colours and then when I put all the weight back on, I'd go into like big, big baggy black clothes. I wouldn't wear anything of colour, nothing fitted. You know, like you were saying, I always used to have to make sure my shirt like fell from here and it would have to, you know, I'd be sweating because the, the, I'd buy thick cotton t-shirts because they wouldn't cling to my, mm. you know, what I deem my body to look like and stuff. Um, but then I would act up and, and also, you know, being gay and going out with my mates and always feeling like an attractive fat one and the funny one and the last one to pull if we were on a night out. That's not a gay thing. I'm sure that's universal, you know. It, it would be on a show. So I, I would try and be hilarious. I'd be the one to buy everyone drinks and, and do the drug run and buy everyone drugs. And, you know, and I, I did the same. I wore, I wore the um, pizza faith thing like a badge of honor i go with my mm. mates and they'd be like shit the bed look how much you can eat and i'd be like hey you know and it was all of us like when i look back it's just so sad because i was just you know uh so scared of letting people see me and and, and convinced i was such a terrible person and, and a piece of shit and not worth anything that there was this big facade and this face and it's putting down the food and drugs and alcohol i've discovered i'm, I'm quite introverted i can be quite shy it takes me a while to become friends with someone. Whereas when I'm in the food and stuff, I'd be best to you in two seconds. I'd lend you all my last money. I'd be life and soul of the party and inside I'm quietly dying. You know, I'd be in parties being ha 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 and then go for a wee in the toilet and feel so lonely and just feel so not part of the party at all. And then open the door again and like, da -da, you know, and act like a dickhead, get on the floor, take my pants off, you know, do all of that kind of stuff. Um, so definitely, I wasn't myself when I was doing it, um, but I, I, I thought I fitted this mould and, and the mould was either learned or, like you said, you know, people would make little comments and it's tiny comments that have shaped my whole life, like tiny mm -hmm. comments, like I pulled a guy when I was 17 and I went, do you think I'm fat? And he went, nah, I really like bigger men. And it just burned into my brain from when I was 17 and I never forgot it. And I was like, that's it. I'm the bigger man. I'm the fatter, bigger guy that is like almost a fetish for someone that's mm. how I, you know that's that's how i viewed myself and not in a good way you know it yeah. was like I'm, I'm the sort of 
I'm the last option, basically. That's what I used to feel about myself. And yeah. it's only so long, I think, before I start acting like it. Self-fulfilling prophecy. If I think I believe it, then there wasn't really, you know, I started to just believe that I was, if that makes sense. Thanks for sharing all this, Robbie. I really do think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. I'd love to shift the conversation a bit towards recovery. Um, in this, in the sense of, of I had imagined there are people listening who either are in a similar struggle or maybe know people who have a similar struggle. And I'd love to know, like the one thing that came to mind, but I'm sure a lot of things will come up. It, what is the process for you when you're in the house and you are thinking, geez, I'd love to binge now. Or like, what, yeah, because you, you mentioned the importance of addressing the root causes, right? Like it's not really about the root, it's about deep down, there's issues deep down. Can you talk to me about like addressing those in that whole process of you wanting to binge, but knowing it's not about the food? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, um, I'm happy to say, like, it's quite rare where I think I want to binge, you know, I'm, I'm sober from alcohol for five and a half years. I, I very rarely think about drinking and the same with drugs as well. Um, and it is very, very, very rare where I think food's going to fix my stuff. Um, and there's loads of different ways I think that people can get help. Um, whether it be something like, you know, Overeaters Anonymous, a 12-step program, whether it be rehab, whether it be a therapist, CBT, um, you know, group therapy. I went to an eating disorders hospital and a clinic and I had one-on-one -on -one therapy there. There's so many different routes to it, but I think all of them sort of complement each other. You know, I meditate every morning now and I use like um, cracking little apps like Headspace and Calm because um, I'm not disciplined. I can't sit with my thoughts for 10 minutes just silently so i need a bit of guidance and stuff um but over you know the recovery route that worked for me and that i chose you know I've, I've learned that there's i use certain tools um and usually now when something seems you know if, if something external if i start to eye up something external that i think is going to fix my internal i divert my attention straight away to the internal and go what the heck is up today like I'm upset about something and somebody pissed me off. Am I scared? Usually, to be fair, it's all fear. Underneath everything, if someone's angered me or I'm worried, I'm a freelancer, so if I start getting worried about money and, and how am I going to pay the mortgage, and, you know, and, and underneath all of it is usually fear. So I try and address the cause. But again, it's for me, it sounds really simple. And, and, and I've got, you know, I've got loads of different tools in my recovery journey, but when, like I said, when something, when I start to kind of go, those trainers will fix my mood, that food will fix my mood. Uh, I don't know, getting a pay rise will sort it. Uh, that person being nice to me, getting a text from a mate out of the blue. If, if I'm gagging for those things to kind of, because I feel shaky, I have a little pause now and go, all right, cool. Something else is going on. What, what, what inside? And it's been a long journey, you know, that I don't, I don't, think this sort of thing you know like you've shared really beautifully said you know this sort of thing doesn't vanish overnight I think the best way through it all is is being open and talking to people asking people for help with whichever route you choose it doesn't really matter I've come to realize there is no right or wrong in this an eating disorder you know 
I go and binge again, I'll learn something. It's not going to topple me over and I'll die. You know, that's the way I choose to look at it. Because anything else, if I put myself in that straitjacket again, like if I eat one more piece of chocolate, I'm fucked. And my whole world's going to fall apart. Like I can't live that way. I can't. And I did for a while. I did try to live that way. And it, and it's, that house of cards is so delicate with me. You know, I stack everything up. And it's literally like takes one little thing to, to topple it. Whereas now I just try and, like I said, that easy jacket. Um, so, yeah, usually I ring someone. I've got a beautiful support network of friends around me, um, also in recovery. And I try and call someone and be like, I'm feeling squiffy. I don't know what to do. I talk to my husband about it. I'm really honest with him now. There's certain people I choose not to, like my parents, uh, because I don't think that's what they're for, you know, to bring my mum and dad and go, you know, I did it for years. Help, help, help. Give me some money. Sort my debt out, you know. Um, whereas I haven't asked them for money in years either. You know, I'm sort of self-sufficient now, but it's finding something that works for you, I think. And it's, it's, it's a real brave thing. Like, I think I was going to say, Seb, I think you're really, really brave because to just talk about it and give it airspace is such a massive thing. I know how hard that is from experience to, to say when I don't want to eat a load of food, I do. And I can't explain why I, I can't stop. For me, it was so shameful, like, because my dad, you know, my dad is a normie and he'd be like, what's wrong with you? Just stop eating. Like, have one. And, and his famous story, or, you know, Bless him if he's watching, Dad, you, you, know, you won't care if I say this, but he'd always say, thing you need to realise, he said, see, see there, I got a box of chocolate Brazils. Now I can have two and put them back in the in the drawer. Why can't you do that? What's wrong with you? You know, that's, I get that over and over the chocolate Brazils, like, oh my fucking God. And, mm -hmm. and I used to try and say, I, I don't know, because occasionally I'd eat all this chocolate Brazils and he'd be livid. Like, I can't mm. believe you've eaten them all, your mother bought them for me for the week and I just... But like, like you explained really beautifully, you know, I really didn't want to. I knew I'd get into trouble. I knew I'd feel shit. And something clicks. An override goes, it's worth it. All of that shit in this moment, I'm just going to do it anyway. And I'll suffer yeah. consequences after. I've got a couple of, of, of questions because, I mean, I think like you'll be able to answer this, but I think one of the most like insidious things um, about rec or, rec or being in recovery, or at least in my mind, because I haven't been in recovery, so I can't say from personal experience, but it, regarding like um, um, having like uh, problems with food, is that say like with gambling, with alcohol, drug use and stuff, mm. I'm not saying this is easy, don't get me wrong, but you can cut it out from your life completely. So you can at one point just say, that is it. I'm never going to touch a drop of alcohol again. Now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, it's super hard to do that if you're suffering with, with a problem. But like you, you will live, like biologically speaking, you will live again if you, if you have. But the problem with food is, like you were saying, you have to have your three meals a day. You, at some point during the day or during the week or whatever, you will have to put food into your mouth. Yeah, of course. Um, exactly. Yeah, here you go. Exactly. Yeah. I, 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 and... And I think that that's the, the, like, I think what people who are maybe struggling or find like really hard because it's like, see, for me, I don't have any problems with like alcohol. I've never had any problems with drugs. I'm a bit, in, it's really weird. Cause like in that sense, I'm like kind of maybe your husband in the sense of like, I've done drugs. I've tried it. And I go, yeah, that was cool. Nice one. Mm. And then that's it. Just never again. No, no, ticked it off. I know what it's about. Don't need to go back there. But because like I don't need drugs on a daily to like yeah, yeah, my, yeah. like to live for me, so that's a very easy logical thing. Like just said, yep, yeah, done it, cool, nice one. But with food, because I have to do it, and every, like tomorrow I'm going to be in the same battle 
because I know that I have to eat, obviously. But then it's like, well, what do I do? Do I have a nice, normal day? Or do I smash myself with, with food up until midday and then, like, go on a, like, a 16-hour, like, um, fasting thing? Do you know what I mean? To mm. compensate or whatever. And I wonder, like, with you, because obviously you've got those parallels. So did you, like, suffer with that? Was that hard for you to be like, okay, I'm kind of dealing with like, alcohol abuse and that's one thing, and now I'm dealing with the food one, and that's, but it's a completely different battle? Yeah. Um, it's a really good question because I am in, uh, you know, I'm sober as well, but I can clearly say I am sober today. Yeah. It's like, it's, it, you could tell me, Robbie, you are sober today. Have you had a drink? No, then you are sober. Um, but you can't tell me if I'm saying, you know, the word I, I use is like abstinent, you know, so you can't tell me only I will know. Um, because what might work for me said might not work for you you know three meals is something that i do because you know it was a bit of a no shit sherlock it was like why do i want to add you know and it works for some other people why do i want to add snacks and bits and bobs because then i just increase the amount of times i'm, I'm faced with the gauntlet of what's it going to be what time is it going to be how much is it going to be how much is it going to weigh what you know that conversation so i you know cut it down to three meals initially um and you know I had some help um, from from different sources and it was identifying for me like again it sounds really obvious but it was like there's certain things that when i eat one thing like personally for me i don't binge on carrots right it's just i can have some i can give yeah. or take it not really there are people out there that do so again Snap. just to keep caveat and everything this is my yeah. experience you put a Ben and Jerry's chocolate cookie core ice cream in front of me with one spoon and I can categorically say the minute I have one or two spoonfuls of that I'll finish it all despite my mind saying leave half leave half leave half leave half leave oh it's gone um it does something really really different with my brain and it was working through um what does that to my body and what doesn't uh and, and trying to, you know, lots of different tools again, you know, trying to be mindful, trying to sit at a table when I eat, because another thing for me was like, get music on, watch the telly and put food on my lap. It's like total sensory deprivation. Like, I don't know why watching TV and eating, it's like fucking sexual. It's something about it, you know, that just heightens the pleasure of food. And then I look down and it's gone and I'm devastated. I'm like, I haven't even noticed I've eaten it, shit, you know? So one of the things I try and do is like sit at a table and register that I'm actually eating. And I always have, I have a rule of one plate of food. And initially in my abstinence, you know, it was like a plate of food, but I couldn't eat three meals a day initially. So it was being gentle on myself and going, try the three meals thing. Oh yeah, it's really big. And over time, trying to figure out what sort of trigger things were there for me. You know, and you talked about rice and pasta, there's definitely one for me, it will never be enough. Um, now there's a load of other stuff um, that I use and loads of other tools and support networks and things. Um, and it's, it's really important, you know, we discussed it before. I don't want to say exactly what I did because I don't want to influence anyone's decision and route or path to a, their own recovery. Um, and there's loads of different routes. All I would say is like, just start trying to talk about it with people and just get, get honest, you know, because when I was honest with myself, you know, all the bullshit, you know, half my brain is selling bullshit and the other half is buying it constantly. That's okay. Oh, is it? All right, then. Yeah, don't worry. It's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh yeah, you know, everybody, everybody does that and throws up a pizza. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah. This is all internal, mind you. It's not, uh, um, but when I'm really honest with myself and when I really sit down, I can go, yeah, 
a tub of ice cream isn't going to work for me. But I'm kind of safe with this type of food. Um, and it's some people, you know, commit food plans, you know, dietitians are wonderful people. They usually will have a really good grip of what a normal sort of food plan looks like, um, you know. And when I sort of meet new people on my journey or brand new to it all, I suggest like go and see a dietitian because what will work for you, Seb, is not going to work for me or Jim. Mm. You yeah. know, we've got different bodies, you know, you might not, like you said, you know, I still find it hilarious when you said, you know, eh, try drugs, I mean, eh. literally the first drug mm. I took. I took drugs forevermore until I stopped doing them five years ago from when I was 16, you yeah. know, it just was like every weekend. And that's the difference. But um, just go out, my, my suggestion to anyone listening, go out and fact find, get as many facts as you can. Google eating disorders, Google, I can't stop eating, Google whatever it is and collect loads of information and one thing will pop up and you'll be like, Oof, that, that sounds like this, it could work for me. That sounds like my tribe or my vibe or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I did loads of Googling initially. It was terrifying. And then, and then years elapsed because I didn't want to address it. I, I also wonder, Robbie, and it's funny because you said like, oh, I'm, I'm really brave for like giving this airtime. But like in reality, it's probably the first time I've actually to- to- spoken about it in open. Like I've mentioned little things to Jim here and there, probably like giving him like little. And that's why he, he kind of obviously got onto this. But like I haven't really, we've never had this conversation. I've never really had this conversation with my girlfriend. Like I'll say, oh, look, now we have to be, you know, we have to be good now. We can't like no more. But I don't really go into like the depths of it. But one of the things that like i i i suffer with is that i feel um as if my eating habits and the amount that i because I, I in my um relationship i'm the one that cooks i like i really enjoy cooking um and so i feel like i've influenced my girlfriend's eating habits now and so like i feel like oh see how she's eating there she did she didn't used to do that like that's because of me, like, exactly see the, the quantity same with my, with my other half said, so I would yeah. go to the supermarket and go, we're getting pick and mix. And then he'd go, I'm not really that bothered. And I'd be like, yeah, come on. And I'd pack two massive ones and he'd leave a bit watching a film. I'm like, come on, eat it, you know, because I just didn't want to be on my own with it. I didn't want to be. Yeah. I, 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 the, it's like the problem with me is it's like now it's like, I don't know, because you don't want to like, I'm listen, by far I couldn't call my girlfriend fat by any stretch of the imagination. But like we both put on weight, but I'm like, see that weight she's put on, that's not because of her. Like that is direct. I feel like it's directly my influence. Like, is it? I mean, what, what if she I would was say, gym, that, yeah. you know what I mean? I feel like, oh, she would have been how she was when she first met me. And not how she, don't get me, I'm not like Louise. You know, I love you. Like she will listen to this and she won't get offended. But it's not as if my girlfriend's now huge or anything. But like, even if it's just like two or three pounds, I notice because, like you say, we're all, like we're hyper vigilant on like. Uh, how our bodies change and how maybe and how mm. we compare to other people's bodies as well right and so like, mm. i'll notice like the smallest change and i'm like ah oh, see that is like and i'm like oh i need to fix myself because not only if i fix myself i'll also then make like my not that my girlfriend's unhealthy but i'll make her healthy i'll make i'll return her to how she was before she was with <laughs> me do you know what i mean and yeah. i wonder if you've ever kind of gone through that or like felt like that or yeah so my my mum um is also in recovery now um and this is just my experience, Shed and Hope, you know. I, I, everybody, you know, your, your girlfriend's an adult. She has a choice to make. Mm. And in my experience, it was my ego that had me believe that I had the power to make my husband eat something. And similarly, to stop him eating something. Mm. And I don't. He's an adult. He can make his decision. I can put all the food in front of him if he's going to eat it. It's not my fault. 
you know, I can't force it down his throat. Um, but my ego would have me believe, you know, and recovery for me has been a level in my ego, essentially, in, in a nutshell, is getting rid of self-will and my ego that's convinced that everyone's looking at me, everyone's talking about me, everyone thinks I'm fat, if, if someone laughs on the tube, they're laughing about me. But similarly, that I, I can control and manipulate the world around me so I feel safe. Therefore, you know, my suggestion said is like, let yourself off the hook, you know, your girlfriend's a big girl, she can decide whether she wants to eat or not, it's not... Yeah. your job to get her you know for me recovery has been a really really it, at times a selfish action and it's taken years to understand in, in a really good way once i focus on my stuff and my side of the street and my food and my attitude and my recovery the ripple effect out to my family and friends has been phenomenal but it took a lot of practice because i was such a people pleaser I wanted to do everything for everybody. You know, I'll do anything for anyone. I'll give you the shit off my back and just please love me and like me. I can't bear the thought of you not, you know, you don't even have to like love me and hug me. Just give me a nod of approval, you know? That's how I lived my life constantly. Now it's like, right, let's sort Robbie out on the insides. And I tried to get my mum into recovery so hard, right? Mom, it's amazing. You should come, come and do this with me. Come and do that with me. It backfired so monumentally because my mum wasn't ready and I don't have that power to get my mum well. She had to go off on her own little journey. And, um, and it, you know, early on I was going to like different things and, and going to meet people and look after myself in, for me in early recovery, which meant not having dinner with my, my boyfriend, my husband, my boyfriend at the time, putting that first, which felt terrible at the time. But every time I would come back from doing a bit of self-care, my husband would say, God, you're so much easier to be around. You're so much lighter. You're so much happier. You seem so much different. And the more I focused on that journey, I realised that I can't get anyone well. I can't make anyone sick. I can't make anyone sober. I can't. I don't have that power. I can just focus on myself. And then people started to notice the change in me. But let yourself off the hook, Seb. It actually has nothing to do with you which i know sounds maybe totally counterintuitive to the way that you feel yeah. um you know uh, and also maybe it's i, I don't know I don't, I don't want to give suggestions or, or any advice to you um in my experience you know when i was when i was trying to control others it's because i'm dodging my own stuff yeah, you yeah. Know, I'm, I'm dodging what the actual problem is which is me because it's easier to say it's my dad because he's an asshole my mum because she fed me too much when i was a kid my husband hasn't treated me right. My friends didn't text me yesterday. That's what the issue is here. Because that's quick, mm. quick divert. Like, oof, I don't want to look at my shit. It's you. It's you. Of course it's you. Um, yeah. And it's painful. It's a painful journey to, to look at yourself yeah. and, and try and level your ego, I think. Um, oh, for sure. But for me, that was the only way through it all. And one of the questions I want to ask is, so you said that at the very start that you're, you're in recovery now. Have there ever been moments mm. where... I'm not sure if relapse is the right word, but um, whether, whether whether you have relapse or whether you've noticed, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm heading back down this path that I've trodden a million times, and, and whether think, you have, like, the tools to, like, kind of pull yourself back out before yeah. you really go into the black hole or... Yeah, for me, the real clear indicator for me is when I start, um, like I said earlier, you know, when I start thinking externals, ah, oh, I think if I get this other job, my life will be all right. When I start like bargaining with stuff all the time, you know, mm. oh, uh, I mean, Tesco's like, oh, if this queue went so long, like, look at that woman there. And I just start getting nitpickety about things. Suddenly my life feels a bit not good enough, basically. 
Um, that for me is a clear indicator that I need to dig down, get my head down again and start focusing on my side of the street and start looking after myself and start ringing people and asking for help, sharing about being honest and, and telling people if I've been an arsehole in the car and I'm beeping at all women going, come on, you stupid bitch, get out of the way. It's like, um, that happens usually way before the food starts getting messy. And it happened right. in terms over the years, you know, I try and look at my food plan and my eating as a daily thing. Because if I think I've got to eat this way for the rest of my life, it's horrifying. It's too big. It's too massive. So I, I, I take it one day at a time. I look at my food for the day. Like now I don't commit a food plan. I don't have, you know, there's very clear guidelines around it. But it fluctuates and it moves and it's fluid and it doesn't really, if I start strapping myself in, and don't get me wrong, you know, there's like anorexics, for example, we need a really strict, structured food plan because they'll die. I'm not going to die if... You know, I have one little bit of food or I cut something out. For me, it's the mental. What's it going to do to my mood? And, and is it going to trick me into thinking I'm a piece of shit again? Or is it actually going to make me feel good and lighter and that I've, I've moved that way in the world sort of thing? So my yeah. food, again, I wouldn't say I haven't relapsed. Um, it's not really a word I like to use. I yeah. think I've learned some stuff. Occasionally I've, you know, and, and, and we're talking a microcosm of what I used to eat before, but occasionally my dinner will just be a little bit big. And I sit watching a movie and I just feel a little uncomfortable and I go, oh, that wasn't cool. Like, and I start looking at what's happened in the day and I'll ring a mate or something and say, something's a bit off kilter, you know, what would you suggest? And that's as much airtime as I like to give it because the days of battering myself for eating something or feeling a bit full, that didn't work. I did that for years. You're useless, you're a piece of shit, don't do this again. It didn't work. So now I'm mm. trying to find in. And like, it's not an easier, softer way, but it's just a way that works for me. Yeah. So is that like one of the main questions that I have that is still like standing in my head is like, like you were saying, like if you, if you think about, oh my God, if I have to eat this way for the rest of my life, like this is just yeah. unbearable. I can't, like it's just too massive. I can't do this. So I have to do it on a daily basis, which makes complete sense to me. The only thing that I like, so when you, for example, like you said, like pasta is one of your weaknesses or when you have like a craving, whatever that may be, is the way that you decide whether you can like, give in to that craving like why am i having that craving is it simply because i haven't had a chocolate bar for i haven't had like a whatever it is kit kat for three months and i just really fancy kit kat and i'm allowed to give myself a bloody kit kat or am I, do i want this kit kat because like some person has made me feel bad about myself and now i'm kind of delving into like i feel like a piece of shit blah blah you don't deserve good food blah. Mm. and then if that's the case right steer clear of the kick at this time round. is that how like you kind of delineate between like okay, i can give myself this treat or this time no it's not actually a treat i'm trying to like self-medicate almost yeah i think you've nailed it there right and and again i've done a lot of work on myself for this so it's really not as easy as me saying to you seb do this today and you'll forever yeah. for example my early abstinence you know pizzas for me was like a massive it was like again a no shit sherlock i binged on pizzas so much they just did not work for me at all so I, one day at a time, I easily said, you know what, that's on my kind of list of things that I just know isn't working, along with Ben and Jerry's and packets of Haribo. It was that simple initially. It was like, those for me are very clear, you know. Uh, and then a couple of years later, um, I was out with my, my husband and he was like, oh, I'd love to go to Pizza Pilgrims in Soho, right? It just opened and he's a real foodie, you know. And, um, and there was just a point where it was like the planets kind of aligned and it was like, 
it would be a normal thing. There's one portion there. I didn't plan this. I didn't come out specifically for it. I've not sat for three days thinking, oh, I'm going to have pizza. And I had one. And the, and it was fine because my motives were, we're out having dinner. There it is, right there. And he said, can we have it? And I just went, oh. Um, and I checked it in again with, with some of my, my recovery buddies and was like, I don't know what to do with this. And, and somebody just went, try it. What's the worst that can happen? And I sat down and it was fine. Fast forward a couple of years and every now and then I'll get, I'll start my day and I'll have a bit of a crappy journey into work and everything. And then my husband's working that night and it will cross my mind at 10 a.m., 10 a.m., get pizza on the way home. And then I'm thinking at 11 a.m., what that pizza's going to be? Should I go to Sainsbury's or Tesco? And then lunchtime, I'm like, well, lunch looks a bit shit. I can't wait for my pizza tonight. And then I'm on the tube, it's 4 p.m. and I'm like, oh, it's going to really scratch it. And then, and then I'm in the supermarket. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you've been chatting in your head about pizza all day. This is not the time to have a pizza. This is not like, it, it, it just becomes quite clear to me when I start negotiating. Because normal ears do not think all day, shall I, shall I, shall I, shall I have a pizza? They just don't. Mm. They'll say, I'll have one for dinner or I won't. When I start the bargaining and the, and the, the narration starts, shall I, shall I, is it going to work for me this time? Da, 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 da. You know, that was explained to me as well, you know, by loads of, you know, my lovely friends in recovery of, you know, if you start that negotiation process, then it's something up. It's not, you know, because if, if it was going to work for you, there's no thought process about it. I just have dinner. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. But it's, no, yeah, it's, it's, it makes motive, a lot of sense. It's motive for me. If I'm, and I think anybody, if you're thinking about like, oh, I really want this now. If you pause for a second and say, do I want it? Because I just, somebody's offered it to me and I've taken one and it's just a part of the day. Or do I want it? Because I want it to do something else. It's not just a chocolate bar anymore. It's going to do something else, whether it be a line of Coke, a pint, you know, a slab of chocolate, you know, family sized bar of galaxy. And I put it in a fridge because it lasts longer because it snaps and all of that little things that I do with it. It's not it for me, you know. Mm. Yeah, I hope I hope that helps. It's it's, no, that, uh, it's such a big topic that there isn't really one route to it. But for me, that's what really helps. Like like the pizza yeah. scenario because I occasionally it happens. I start going, I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one. What's it yeah. What's that? Should I get? No, yeah. That make, that makes complete sense, and actually, from I mean, like, like I said, we can only speak about our, our own experiences, right? But hopefully, our own experiences echo with other people's. And, and mm. for me, like I've never thought of it that way, which is why then I always find myself stuffing my face because I've never had that like moment of like contemplation of like why. But like like you say, like, I will wake up and I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna cook myself like X, and and then whatever it is. But I've never gone like, why am I like so desperate, and like why have I been like waiting for this for like two three days so do you know what i mean like yeah i, I do the same thing i plan a binge for like days yeah i'd be in work and i'd meet friends and and that whole time i've, I've got it in the distance i can just yeah. touch it the, the way like for, for, for people who are listening who maybe can't understand and who are lucky enough not to to di- like to ha- have any problems with uh, have a healthy relationship with food the way i would explain it is like it feels very similar not that i'm massive with alcohol but that the f- odd time that like oh, i'm now i'm gonna go out and see my mates i haven't seen in a good while and we're gonna get like we're gonna sit in the pub from dusk till dawn and like mm. just get do you know what i mean have a nice time but we know we're gonna get on it. it is that it's that kind of similar thing of like yeah. i'm gonna get on it but just in terms of food i'm excited and, like, i will it's, just it's anticipation and excitement yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 it's that same same kind of way. And I'm, you know, I, I could I, talk- I mean, 
Sorry, go on, go on, Robbie, please. I was going to say, like, I do have experience with drugs and alcohol, and I can categorically say it is exactly, exactly the same thought process. There is no difference between me looking forward to getting off my tits on a Friday night or having a bucket of chicken on the way home in the back of a bus. And that's, for me, when I addressed one thing, I could see mm. the pattern, so many other little things, and I couldn't dodge it anymore. I was like, oh, because that food mm. was my first thing I sorted out. And then drugs yeah. fell away on its own because it was just getting so tragic. My come downs and alcohol really went for it really insidiously because I would, you know, it's legal to go out and get pissed and sit with your mates in a pub. But it was exactly, and I was, again, it was an epiphany, but horrible to realise the thought process of that bar of chocolate and that pint was like identical. There was nothing. Yeah. It was as urgent and as exciting and all the anticipation and stuff. The difference being was... One is out with your mates, making the tea yourself. The other is at home on my own, really lonely, eating a big bar of chocolate, hating myself, you know, was was my experience, you know. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) selfishly, I could talk to you for hours and hours on end, but you've, like, done so well to clarify so many things in my own mind of like oh shit like i never really kind of thought of it that way but yeah that makes complete sense and completely mirrors my own experience i just want to bring jim in because like i'm i am wary that i have hogged you completely mm-hmm. um, so i've binged on you robbie so uh, <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if uh, i'm sure jim's got a few questions uh there that i haven't i haven't asked myself well no, there was one there was one thing that i wanted to to kind of double down on that you already mentioned robbie that i think is really significant is um, you mentioned how if there's a, a difficult time and you feel like, oh, maybe I might do it or I'm thinking about it, I'll call a friend, right? And I think there's maybe people listening to say, I'll call a friend, like they're probably not going to be able to help me because I'm in this room. And I just wanted to say that I know there's like different ways of looking at addiction. And, and as you mentioned, if it works for somebody, it works for someone. But I know Johan Yari has a book recently and he talks about how connection is the opposite of addiction. And I had an experience uh, a few weeks ago where I, I said, like, right, I'm actually going to eat loads of chocolate tonight. Like, I'm going to eat loads of chocolate. And I had a call with my friend. And it was a longer call than expected. And I got a little deeper than expected. And then I got off the call and I just said, there's no desire to, to binge. Why am I binging here? Like, I'm, I'm kind of higher on connection. I'm higher on life than... Um, and I just kind of wanted to share that because I think I I probably wouldn't have given it the weight um, you're giving it until I had the experience of that connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I think, um, yeah, I totally relate. My, my thinking uh, is really twisted. So when I feel really fat, my solution is to eat loads of really fattening food. When I feel really lonely, my solution is to isolate myself from everyone. Like my twist, my, my thinking's backward. And, and similarly, like kind of what you were saying, you know, like when I feel lonely, the last thing my, my sort of addict brain wants to do is ring someone and say, I feel really lonely. Are you up for a chat? It convinces me that nobody wants to hear from me anyway. And the, and the best thing to do, shut the door, turn your phone off, don't answer the phone to anyone and just shut yourself off from the world is my best thinking. Um, but I've been really surprised, you know, because I've got new friends in recovery that aren't in recovery. They're like normies, you know. I've made some really cool best mates. One of them, my mate Michelle, we go skating together in Hyde Park. I've got these cool bower quad skates and she's got inliners. And she drinks and she's normal and whatever. Normal, sorry to use that word, but doesn't have any issues with with anything. Um, 
but from that beginning of that friendship, I've been really open about my background and everything. So we talk about it really openly and, and she might not have the answers or whatever, but it's beautiful. I've, I've realised the more people I'm open with, which is why I agreed to do this with you, the more people I'm open with, I, I've had, I've never had a friend say, but I don't want to talk about that. No, 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 Robbie. You know, when I've sincerely rang a friend and said, I'm really fucking struggling. Like I don't, I've rung friends before and I've said, I don't really want to call you which is why I'm calling you. I really don't want to speak to you tonight, but I'm calling you and they're like, babe, what's that? Like, you don't have to speak to me for that long. Don't worry about it. Like, it's nice to hear your voice. And that's been it. And I've said, thanks for answering. And I haven't binged or purged or like you said, that beautiful little, and I've always been, I'm always, I'm always really astounded by the friends I've got now the more every time I take that leap of faith and go I'm going to talk about it or I'm going to bring someone when I don't want to or I'm going to go to that party I'm invited to that I'm terrified to go to because I think no one's going to be nice to me and they're all going to think I'm an arsehole and but I'm just going to show up and take that little leap of faith and ring a mate and ask if they'll hold my hand walking in there I'm always astounded by how it all kind of works itself out and, and way better than I could have figured out like my solution I'm aware very vividly my solution if I don't keep on guard, will always be to shut myself off from everybody. It definitely is not to do a podcast. My best thinking before recovery is not to come and speak to you guys and make, be visible and and be honest. It's like terrifying, no way. Thanks for sharing that, Robbie. I really appreciate it. Uh, if Seb doesn't have anything else, I just wanted to uh, wanted to ask you if. If there's something that you think maybe you're coming in tonight and you thought I'd like to share this, but we haven't really kind of come across it because of the questions or just how it went. Is there anything that you say, oh, I'd just like to add this before we, we finish? Um, yeah, again, just to sort of say, you know, if, if, if you totally disagree with everything I've said or you think I'm talking bullshit, that's fine. It really is. It's cool. Um, I've done a lot of work on my ego, so I know it sounds nonchalant, maybe, but I don't care. <laughs> um, it doesn't bother me too much. I, 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 um, I don't know if that comes across the right way, but in the most loving way, you know, I don't. I'm not consumed by what people think of me anymore. But if you are struggling, and like I said, the best thing to do is just get on and Google it. And that's not me saying ring all your mates and tell them you've binged and purging and. Just tell all your family and everything else, you, you know, the tiny thing is just start getting your facts. Go out on your fact-finding mission. And if you find nothing, brilliant. If you find one thing that leads you somewhere, brilliant. And if you find a load of stuff, get it all together and just sit with it for a little bit and see which one talks to you. Um, but try not to do it on your own. That, that's probably the one bit of advice I would give. I don't think I've really given advice throughout the whole thing. I'm very mindful not to say, Seb, I think you should do this. And, you know, Jim, I think you should tell your reader, your listeners that, you know, if they follow this program and they follow this therapy, they'll get well. But I, what I would say is like, in my vast experience of being out there trying to fix myself, it didn't work and it was so lonely. Um, and so hard. It was such a hard job to try and fix myself. And I never did. So it's, um, you're not alone and, and maybe just get on Google, get some facts together. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of help out there. There really is for, for guys 
overeaters, anorexics, binge eaters, gym addicts. There's, there literally is something that will address every single specific. Because we've talked about overeating, but it's got so many different faces for me. Like the gym, you know, I, I had the six pack and the chest and the steroids and everything else. And I was still convinced I was really fat. So that didn't work. I had a vision of what I thought, I, if I look like this, I'll be happy. And I got that body and I've got photo evidence of it. And I was so desperately unhappy that it was almost like, oh no, right, find something else. <laughs> so yeah, um, I wish everyone like the absolute best if you're struggling. Just, just listening to the podcast, I think is is a uh, is, is it will start that ripple effect I talked about. Yeah. Yes. Th- thank you so much, Robbie. And I know it took a lot of courage for you to come up and uh, and agree to do this and and really share what My you pleasure. share. It, we we really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Um, amazing. Been amazing. Yeah. We we usually end by asking people how do they take care of their mental health, but. You, you you have given us a lot um if you'd like to add anything else for sure no not really i think i've got loads in there like i said med- meditation for me little calm apps and stuff is a is a game changer um i find i find that really helps but i think i think i've covered everything really. uh you more than covered it don't worry yeah. about that <laughs> <laughs> so, i'm sorry i like really banged on and talked too much no 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 it's been the, the absolute opposite trust me it's, it's an absolute godsend for jim and i when, when we get a guest on we're very lucky with our guests in general they're absolutely great but when we get a guest on who is like clearly is like done this their own homework on themselves or on the subject matter and can talk like freely and openly and jim and i only have to come in every now and again that is what we dream of so okay, you've been cool. a dream of a guest and uh, it's been <laughs> Absolutely See, fantastic. that's my ego creeping in. Was I good enough? But <laughs> yeah, it's still, it's still there, little asshole. 